0: Episode 3 of Transfers Uncovered, the podcast with me, Simon Watts, and football agents Brian Howard and Phil Corklin from Momentum Sports Management. And where else to take you for the final instalment for now but to the madness of the culmination of the transfer window, a day that still baffles the hell out of me, if I'm honest with you, D-Day, otherwise known as Transfer Deadline Day. Now, as mentioned last week, we will hopefully get back together again in February to reform the band and put another episode together with your questions via social Social media so do keep them coming to at transfers pod on twitter if you're not following us already also if you want to follow a little bit more closely the deals that phil and brian have been involved with and speak to them directly yourself i know that they like me have been really really humbled by all the positive feedback that we've had so you can follow them on twitter at either at phil Corklin or at momentum sm right let's crack on part three deadline day So the final episode, and I think appropriate that we finish with a look at the transfer deadline day. And uh, I spoke in one of the previous pods about the documentary filming behind the scenes at Sunderland on transfer deadline day. And I, one thing that also sticks in my mind, I remember, a doc, uh, well, it wasn't even a documentary, but it was a viral video where a guy got to follow Chris Wilder. He was doing deals at Sheffield United. And uh, I remember one where Jerome Sinclair was literally sat at a train station in Sheffield ready to sign on the dotted line and it all suddenly falls through. Is it really like that? I mean, how how crazy is it for you as agents on deadline day?
1: It's very much that you look at it and you go, well, you plot your route planner on Google Maps or whatever, you work out that the player lives five hours away from the destination that he's probably going to sign for. He might not have permission to actually speak to that club yet or or kind of make the journey down to kind of get there. But then at the same time, there might not be enough hours in a day in order for him to actually get there if if he does get permission to sign for that club so you might say to you know everyone knows that it's happening it's deadline day so both clubs know that there's a chance that the player might come so you might say to him look drive halfway down sit in a service station for a while and as soon as we get the phone call to give you permission to actually go to the club and have a medical then you make that journey but obviously there's the famous Peter Oden wingy video of on the Sky Sports News when he was actually winding his car window down outside QPR and he didn't have permission to go there yet so I think as an agent you've just always got to Prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And I think with transfer deadline day, that throws up also all, all kinds of. Opportunities really for
2: that to go right or wrong.
0: Are there like meeting points like High Wycombe uh, Holiday Inn or something <laughs> where you just get a, like a bunch of footballers on the 31st of January just sat waiting?
2: I think there are certain meeting points yeah. up in the country, yeah, certain hotels and you know the, the Hilton by East Midlands Airport and, and there's the Waltham Abbey Marriott just off the M25. There's right. always somewhere you're going to bump yeah, into a somewhere. The last week in January, you know, if you go to any of these certain places up and down certain motorways that. You're bumping into agents, players, head of recruitments, directors, football managers. So, yeah, if, if you want to do some business or you want to see anything, then get yourself to these places. It
1: feels like the Mike Bassett film where England, yeah. Ireland, and Scotland all meet in the airport and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they all start having a bit of a, a bit of a fight. But it's that kind of thing where you bump into people and. You, you kind of you don't realize you're going to see them, but it's not a surprise either
0: if you've got to be there for a deal because if you've got five players on your books all going on deadline day, how do you spread yourself across the
2: country to get them done? I think well, modern day technology you can do a lot now with as long as you've got you know sort of ipad's phones and you know I think I was at a club uh, on on deadline day maybe two windows ago and mm. Um, Phil actually had to sign some of the paperwork but I had to be there to still oversee it and I think Phil had to pull over on the side of the a motorway and the hard shoulder just to scribble <laughs> it onto his phone to send it and I had to oversee it to get it finalised and um, yeah you say about putting in the route planner but sometimes you just don't know where you go so you sit in your car from first thing in the morning and you know, you could be, you, you've got to be ready to go anywhere make sure you've got a full tank of petrol the night before and it really is just all systems going, you could be headed to one destination uh, with one player and the same player go all, all of a sudden you turn and, and back somewhere else to go elsewhere and it, it really is anything can happen on that day mm. I think also it's, it's mad like
1: I always kind of I go to the gym sometimes and then not others but I suffer from a bad back just from driving so much in the job that we do um, but I always kind of remember that every single January window that's the one where I go to the gym the most because you just need to be physically and mentally ready every single day then you kind of sometimes you just want to leave your phone in the locker and just listen to your music or something, <laughs> but it doesn't matter where you go, your phone's with you all the time. Then you go to the gym at six or seven in the morning, ready for the day, and your phone's already going from managers and clubs telling you that right, we need to get this deal done. You need to be here from nine o'clock or ten o'clock, and then then also it's about the the domino effect. of If one player leaves a club, then another player can move somewhere else, and you just have to be on it all the time. So from a from a perspective that you can do everything for, with modern technology, but I also think that. There's nothing better or more important to be there. And we always make sure that unless something massively hinders your 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 opportunity to be there, we always want to make sure that we oversee the paperwork. Everything, again, we talk about false deadlines, but you need to sit down with the player. And yes, it's about pulling on that shirt on a Saturday, but it's his livelihood. So you go back to the, the fact that you sit down with the player, you've got a checklist of what's been emailed to you as the official offer from a club. They print out the paperwork. You need to make sure that you sit down with the player and you say to the club secretary, can we just have five minutes? And you sit down and you literally tick off every single thing that they've been offered, whether it's a win bonus, whether it's an p- appearance bonus, whether it's a goal bonus, what they're earning per week, what they're earning next season, their divisional status, what you know, which league they're in and what they're going to earn. Um, they might have an option in their contract. There's all these different things that, again, the pressure can be put on you and you kind of, the player just wants to get the deal done or the club does. But you've got to sit down and go, Actually, is this what we agreed? Yes, it is. The player understands exactly what he's signing. Then, therefore, you go, right, yeah, we're happy. Let's get the paperwork done. Is yeah. that how a
0: player's contract's drawn up then? I mean, you know, when you talk about bonuses and things like that, the the basic weekly wage that people... I always find it mad I get paid monthly. So people always talk weekly in football, don't they? I don't know why, why that's the case. But how you work these packages out?
2: Different clubs do it different ways. Some people pay weekly. Some pay on the 14th of every month. Some pay on the last day of every month. And it... Every club is different and, you know, some clubs, we will take a player on loan from one club to another and they pay in different ways and trying to get all the wages sorted and, um, you know, and players, some of them earn very good money but they know to, to the penny what they should be getting paid and if they move from one club to another and it's one day difference in the wages from a, an increase or decrease, um, yeah, they know it. So, you yeah, a lot of the times we get phone calls sorting that. Uh, just talking about the deadline on a, a different look at it, um, as a player myself, um, I was on holiday in the summer, it was June time I sat with, uh, my agent was actually on holiday with me and he got a phone call from a club saying we're interested, by last, we sat there by the pool um, had a cocktail and said would you go there? Said, yeah, it's an interesting opportunity let's see what happens, so this is in June all the way through till the 30th of August, still not happened, um, I got yeah, I had a day off and you know I was at a certain place in the country and get a phone call saying I think the deal's going to happen on deadline day tomorrow I said, oh, Shall I hang about then? Yeah, hang about for now. Don't be driving wherever. Hang about. Still hadn't gone through a half 11 at night. So then I, yeah, I'm, I'm driving back back home, ready to train at my, my parent club. And I get a phone call saying, I think it's pretty close. The, the manager wants to speak to you. So I'll speak to the manager on the phone that night. OK, brilliant. Next next morning, I get into training. Nothing said. I'm like, All right, OK, I'm kind of waiting around. I've got stuff packed in my car just in case. And all of a sudden, Gaffer pulls me in the office, we accepted a bid, don't have to go, don't want you to go, all the all the spiel. Come to the scene, look, shake hands, say, look, I think it's best I go and meet the other team anyway and, and have a chat about it. I then get stuck on the motorway in a traffic, in an accident, no getting phone calls left, right and centre. Uh, Where are you? Where are you? You need to pass a medical, you need to get this done. Get to the stadium to, to meet, meet the manager, uh, meet, the, meet the staff, meet the chief exec, meet the director of football. And it's... You know, we've got 45 minutes till the deadline. I've got to pass a medical, got finalised the contract because it's been delayed this long. Um, then to they said, well, you might have to go on loan instead of, of a review to a permanent, like you've seen a few gone through mm. that, you know, 1st of January it's a permanent contract, but actually they signed on deadline day so it's a loan review. Said, I might have to do that. They say, oh, hang on a minute, you told us you're on a certain amount of money. We've now seen your contract because the loan's come through. You're only on this. We need to try and so then the contract gets changed again and then you say wow. well no that's a contract I agreed and all the time it's ticking away I'm sat there with a pen in just my shorts because I've just done the medical <laughs> ready to do it and literally a minute to I think it was five o'clock on that day a minute to go sign the paperwork and then for the next three four hours I'm kind of sat in the stadium waiting for FA to tell me if it's been done or not and wow you know the contract did go through but even for the next sort of three four months it was are you on loan or have you signed and yeah. I don't think anyone actually knew It mm-hmm. was that can you say who it was
0: <laughs> no I'd rather no, not <laughs> no, that's, but what, it's mad it's absolutely mad how it I mean from the outside looking in obviously how it can go down to the last minute especially deals that could have been done months months before I mean you're on the transfer side of it yeah how could, why does that happen yeah.
1: I think it happens because of just loads of different reasons really but you know, you could get a key injury to a, a, a centre forward that you thought was going to, you know, transform your team for that season. He's done pre-season really well. He started the season really well. 30th of August, he does his cruise ship. He's out for the season. You need a replacement, um, or there might be other times where, if you look at the domino effect from right at the top of the league, um, the top Premier League side might go and sign a striker for 50 million pound that allows his. 18 million pound worth striker to go alone to the championship. The championship allows their striker to go alone to League One, and all of a sudden, you've got this huge effect. But teams aren't going to do that until they've seen their team settle in pre season, start the season, work out exactly what they want with their squad, and see whether they'll let people go. Um, but then also, teams might get taken over. The, the strange thing I always find with takeovers is takeovers always seem to happen just after the transfer window, so that then you've got a good few months for new owners to kind of work out their budget and work out what they can put in terms
2: of the. You know what the the kitty for the transfers, really? I think that one's yes is key as well. We say that, you know again a new manager comes in in the summer and he's got four or five players that are the previous manager's players, the surplus requirements, but they're on good salaries, and they take up a lot of the budget, so you can say i oh, I want to sign you, Simon, but I can only pay you this much. I know you won't come for that, but if I can get these two or three players off the wage bill, I can sign you, so then you're waiting all summer knowing that they want to sign you but they've got to get certain players out. And then it might be on deadline day, like they said, so there would be an injury somewhere else. So that player that wasn't moving anywhere because no one could afford his salary, then goes, or the clubs like bite the bullet and say, okay, we'll rip up your contract, give you some money to go. That clears it up. And then all of a sudden you're in there on the last day and it's taking all that time to come around.
1: Incredible. I think also the, the, one of the biggest things is that you might have, I think Brian referred to it in a previous podcast about the, the list of targets that you've got. So you might have top three, one, two and three, You're waiting and waiting and waiting to sign as a manager. You want that number one target, but so does everyone else. So therefore, you're waiting to see whether that comes to fruition. That takes time. If you then get turned down from target one, you're going to go on to target two. And then target three, you might only actually be able to sign him on the last day of the window because you've been waiting that much time and spinning all the plates. So it's just... There's so many different reasons, and I think it doesn't matter whether the transfer window is four months long or four weeks long or even a week long. You're still gonna you're still gonna wait and assess things and just work out because, again, it's the manager's neck on the line. And if he doesn't sign the right players to, you know, get promoted or not get relegated, he gets sacked. So everything has to be done for the right reasons, and they have to be sure. I know you
0: mentioned in episode one that you got a deal done very late on after seeing, you know, the club on Twitter or whatever you know picking up on social media what was going on i mean the people in the industry glued to sky sports news on transfer deadline day kind of seeing say if a deal's been made at Ipswich than a player who might hypothetically be on Bradford's radar. You can see a deal potentially happening there between two clubs that you think, right, okay, right, I'm going to pounce on that
2: opportunity. Yeah, I think even this morning yeah, we've we had TalkSpot on the radio, um, we've had Sky Sports on the app, on the phone, we've been looking all through Twitter, all through social media. Um, even at a competition, we would chat to other agents and they said, you know, is your player leaving this club? Is your player wanted by this club? Oh, have you been offered a contract because apparently they want our player too? Are they? Speaking to both of us, so you just always got to get the inside information and try and get ahead of it. I think that's probably the most key thing. And like you said, try and get the information as early as possible to process it and, and do what's best for your client. Because you also, you can get that information, you can then target that club and say, Look, I've got this
1: player. They would say, oh, I didn't realise he was available. And you say, Well, actually, yeah, he's on too much money for the club. They're looking to cut the wage bill. They're allowing him to leave. They might help him leave in terms of maybe giving him pay up or something like that. And all of a sudden, I think our job is to make things that people think aren't possible possible. So we have to again, sell a story to people and explain how it can happen. Um, And and there was an example that I wanted to speak about in a previous podcast, actually, when you asked about all the different ways of transfers happening or why Mm -hmm. transfers would happen, for us, most of the time, I'd say 99.9% of the time, we want to work with the parent club that own the player because I can't swear, so I don't know how to... (laughs) Sometimes you could use a shit or bust, Um, theory really, which is look, we need to get this player out. We've got to do whatever we can to get this player out, whether it's transfer request, whatever it is to to get that transfer happening. But I think that's a very short term methodology because the next time you've got a player at that club, they're gonna be pretty angry with you that you've you've engineered it in a certain way. So what we try and do is again sell the story to the club to say he's reached a certain point, he's scored this amount of goals, you think you can get X amount in a transfer fee. We think that's unrealistic. We think we can get Z amount if we can get you that amount will you sell him they might say yeah but we won't sell him to the same division we'll only sell him to a different division so he's not a rival all that kind of stuff, so you get as much real information as possible, and then all of a sudden you can go out to the marketplace knowing that if a club makes contact with the parent club, they're ready to do business. And I think for us, it's always about just making things seem as possible as possible.
0: I still can't get my head around it. How it's, it's well, I remember Ross Barkley a couple of years ago, the deal with Chelsea falling through, and how these multi multi million pound deals just go you know right to the wire. Uh, I don't know, I just, I just find it completely mad, really, but um. I mean, if you've got a player who's out of contract in the summer, is it in the best interest to wait until they're a free agent, or do you get them as early a, a, a earlier deal as possible? When's the best sort of
2: chance to strike? I think every player is different. It depends what each player wants, um, and it also depends how in demand they are. You know, we've had phone calls on the lead up to January now, and and, and actually in January. And they phone about a player and say, oh, you look after player X. Yes, we do. OK, we would be really interested in him. OK, but oh, no, no, not this window in the summer. He's out of contract in the summer, but we're already planning ahead. And feel was saying, with the transfer, he's can to plan ahead. So a player like that's in demand. So probably the later it goes, the better because we have more options and, and we know he's in demand. Where maybe a player has fallen out of favour, he's in and out, he's not in the best form, it comes to you know, sort of the window coming up, and you go, well, look, this is kind of your best option, it's a good offer on the table, let's snap it up, let's get back to doing what you're doing, get your head round it, get playing football, get fit, and, and then it's about the next contract. You could also have one where the player's in
1: actually really good form, he's doing really, really well, and again, it goes back to giving people honest information and feedback. So you could have a player that's doing incredibly well at a certain level, There might be interest from a higher level, but actually, does that change the, his situation in terms of maybe he has to move house, maybe family, put the kids in a different school, all that kind of stuff. Goes from being the main talisman of that football club to then going to potentially a squad player. Depends how old he is. Does he want that in his life? Or actually, is he really happy where he is? So he might be out of contract in the summer. So you look at all of that and say, how much are you... So you can do a character profile. We do absolutely everything as, a, as an agent, as you said before, social workers and, and all sorts. But without actually undertaking character profiling, you you, you massively know... What type of player they are, whether they're risk averse or not. So you can look at it and go, actually, you know what? Even if he doesn't play for one week, he's not very happy. So therefore, if he goes to a team where he's going to be a squad player, that can affect his mood. It might not. He might not enjoy his football. Whereas actually, if he's really enjoying his football, then let's just keep him where he is and try and get the best contract you can get for him. Um, or it could be the fact that the player is so risk averse that to see him see his contract out towards January from January to the end of the season. Every time he plays, if he's worried that he hasn't got a contract next season and he's earning zero next season at the minute, he might then pull out of challenges, he might be worried about getting injured. So therefore, actually, that kind of player, he might be better just to sign a new contract at the team he's at. If he can't move in January, it might be better to get him the best contract you can get him, but he's getting the security for himself, for his family, he can carry on playing football. So there's so many different things that go into the melting pot of whether a player's not doing well or doing well, there's always lots of different things you have to assess.
2: I think people look at agents as well and they say, oh, what a nice job that is. You go and watch, watch football and you go and sign off a bit of paperwork and you get paid for it on oh, happy days. But I think you've said this, especially with your experiences, how it's grown and it's something that I've found really interesting since I've done it full time. Is you look at it and you say, actually, you don't just work for the player. I thought, yeah, I manage a player, I go to watch him play, give him advice, phone clubs to see who wants to sign him, um, you know, build relationships. But actually, you, you have a player at a club, the club might want to sell him so they say, right, go and find them a club. So then you've got the club, the selling club. You know, you're working on behalf of them to go and get a new player. Then you're speaking to buying clubs. The buying clubs then want to find out how much you work, uh, how much they want, how much he's worth. So you're going between. You're actually working for for both clubs rather than obviously just looking after the player. And then you've got to do the player side as well. So it's a, it's a much more rounded job, and you've pretty much, yeah, you're almost working with three, four different people at one time. Definitely.
1: I think
0: something that, actually, I pick up on a point you made there about players, you know, some players, naturally, you sort of start worrying towards the end of the season. I mean, I've always thought this must happen. Brian, you probably know the answer to this as an ex-player yourself. You know, you've got maybe five or six games of the season left, you're mid-table, not really playing for anything. You know, Players must, if they're out of contract, approach game slightly differently maybe I know as a professional you've got to be 100% but it's like there must be a part of you that thinks well you know, I can't break my leg now because I'm not going to be paid in two months if I've got a broken leg
2: I think Phil's something like this character profile every player's different and Phil's managed lots of players like it I've been in dressing rooms and managed players People think about different things. You know, I've, I've played centre forwards that had two-year contracts and didn't score a goal for eighteen months. The last six months of their contract, they scored twenty goals and yeah. get another three-year deal. You know, it's it's funny how things work like that. And you know, I, I had it myself. I didn't loo- like losing a game of five aside, whether I was in contract, out of contract. So last five games of the season, if I was out of contract, you know, I, I, I was still playing the same. Um, and again, those last five games, it, it's mad as it sounds, but. Whatever you've done before almost doesn't matter. It's about your last game in football. Um, so you could, you know, you could have been rubbish for forty-one games of the season. Last five games of the season, you bang in three, four goals and you get man of the match. You're getting a better contract, whether it's at the club you're at or you know, club might think oh, I don't want him. And then you play the last five, six games, get man of the match a couple of times, you get a new contract and, and a better contract than what you're on. So it, it's very much in the now of football, and, and I think that's the way I would look at it. And you just never know when your last game's going to be. So you know I'm retired now and look back at it and go you know some games I wish I I did do more I always did try my what I did think was 100% but you can't leave anything out there in football and you only get what you put in
0: I suppose there's always someone watching as well that game that you don't put in 100% if there's a scout from a potential employer in a couple of months time watching you and they pick up
2: on that that's not going to do your cause any good either yeah mm-hmm. if you, i think if you've got a contract lined up you we you know two three games to go and you know that you're getting a move that you want is pretty much science delivered. Of course, you've got to be really careful with the injury and I think that's where you be honest with the manager and say, look, we're safe, got nothing to play for, you don't want me or you know that I'm going.
0: It happens, does it?
1: Either the players have that conversation.
2: I think it does sometimes, yeah, if, if you've got the right people. And I think everyone's sensible enough and man enough in, in football now to, to know that does happen.
1: I think also you flip it that by a player saying that to the manager, the manager can also say it to the player so the manager can think, well, he's going to be out of contract or he's moving, I know he's got a move lined up I want to blood some youngsters, I want to give someone else a chance. So we know he's moving on. So actually for three, four games, we'll give other people an opportunity. And we know clubs have said that to us where we've said, look, we've got a young player, What, what what's his pathway? Is he going to go on loan or is he going to play for you? They've said to us, look, when we're safe, we will give a few of the kids a chance to then see whether they're ready to step up the following season. Um, so I think it's it's very much a, a thing where we try and explain to players that in previous times when there was less of a spotlight on things that were done outside of football, these days, everything is a shop window. So whether you're watching Luther on BBC on a Thursday night or you're watching Chelsea Man United on a Sunday and you're deciding to tweet what you think about that game or that TV show, whatever comes out of your mouth or whatever you type with your fingers, that's your shop window to a football club. And it's very much you have to always be on your best behaviour. to make, and it's Whether you're playing a game on a Saturday and you've got two games left of the season or you're watching television or you're going out to a show or a cinema with your missus, every single time you do something... Before you think about it, before you do it rather, you have to think about what would a potential employer or what would my current club think about what I'm saying? And by doing that, they then think, actually, I don't need to tweet that or I don't need to put it on Snapchat or Instagram or whatever, because mm-hmm. what am I actually gaining from it? Absolutely nothing. But the, what you can lose from it is absolutely massive. Mm-hmm. And I think now clubs do their due diligence on footballers. and And I think we talk about transfer deadline day. They might have signed a player on deadline day but they might have been doing their due diligence for six months to a year, two, three, four years down the line before to make sure that if they're signing that player they know they're signing a good character. That's a
2: real interesting point. I was uh, was in the gym with uh, an ex-Saints player the other day, uh, a very successful international player, now retired and we were chatting about what's happening at Southampton right now and about the, obviously there's been a change with Les Reed leaving, and, and how the recruitment's gone over the last so many transfer windows, and he mentioned, he, he's a Norwegian international, and he mentioned about Southampton signing a Norwegian player now, and signing for £17 million, played for Basel, obviously played in that level, is he ready to come to the Premier League? He turned around in his interview, the, the player that signed for Southampton, and said, I know that Saints have been tracking me for the last three to four years, because they've been chatting to my agent for these many windows. So again, that. That shows again that this did the manager sign him? I don't think so because the club has signed him, and mm. and that's the way it's going down. So They've been profiling him and, and fitting him in, and like researching his games, looking at his social media, looking everything about him for three years before they're ready to then. You know they're going to spend seventeen million pound and give him X amount of thousand pounds a week. They've got to be sure that it's the right one. Yeah, and I don't think it's necessarily
1: that that's going against what the manager wants. Again, as we've said before, the little wheel that's going round very very fast of every single game. The manager's managing games, matches, so he can't go and watch other matches. So therefore, he's allowing, or not allowing, that the, the football stru- the football club structure enables him to have as much information as possible without him having to go to those games himself. And then if there's a final decision, he says, look, I want one goalkeeper, go and find me one. They'll then whittle it down based on all the research they do and say, here's three goalkeepers that we recommend. You go and watch them. And if, if he doesn't have a midweek game and that team does have a midweek game, he'll go and watch them. Um kind of give his final decision and then from those three he'll decide which one he wants and I think it's very much a collective effort that one of the things I get frustrated a little bit and it's it's life it, people don't realise how much everyone else works in football other than the manager but when they talk about a manager if the team's top of the division they'll say how brilliant has the manager's recruitment been and they're doing so well and you think well actually I know that football club's got a head of football operations it's got a head of recruitment a chief scout um, all these people have done this amount of work and I know that in everything the main man walks out of you know, the pulpit and says, you know, he kind of delivers a speech and there's been lots of people behind the scenes. But I think these days people are starting to realise there's more to it. Um, but I think managers, unfairly and fairly sometimes, they bear so much a brunt of brunt of what goes on. And I think in a way it's a little bit unfair because they, they really do, you know, they put their neck on the line every single week. It's out of their control, a lot of stuff that happens as well.
2: We spoke last night, we had a meeting with an analyst at a football club and He was a part time analyst and he was kind of doing more of the opposition. So, watch the opposition say, This is what I do for set players, this is the way he's set up. Blah blah blah. And he said, The head of recruitment said, Oh, can you just do me a favour while you're in? Three of my scouts have said, We need to sign this goalkeeper. Um, can you have a look at him? Just give me a report on him, what you think. You know, I'm, I'm gonna go watch him. He said, He watched him and he said, You know, he's crap, he's rubbish. We shouldn't be looking at him, we should be going for much better than that. So, he gave him the report. And he said, well, I'm flying out there anyway, I'm going to watch a you know, foreign goalkeeper, I'm going to go watch him play. And he said, uh, the, the analyst said, I've got a phone call from this head of recruitment. I said, uh, what was your report about this player again? And he said, oh, well, yeah, I didn't think he was very good, well, why? Yeah, what, what?" And he said, nah, and he said, I agree, So three of my scouts, it was a sign I was watching him, he was absolute rubbish. He said, no chance, he said, do you want a full-time job? Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, it's, it's crazy, and you see, look, so all those reports in the background now, before you even mention a manager or a coach going to see the player. I
0: remember talking about profiling here in a, a presentation a couple of years ago from what's now a Championship Club's Head of Recruitment. And he was basically saying how they build a profile of a player before they go to sign them and will look back on their social media and basically trawl like Twitter and Facebook mm. over like 10 years in some cases to, to build that profile of the, the person's character. And obviously you can tell a lot from a person's character nowadays, yeah. you know, by looking at their social
1: media. I think there, there was one, I don't know if it was a player that signed for Atletico with Bow or something like that um, le- within the last couple of years and he'd signed for them and then the day after it came out that he, he basically said a lot of derogatory comments about the club and therefore they cancelled his contract. So I think people have just got to be clever about this. I think these days it's quite well known, I think it's well known anyway, that a player might have a public and a private profile on Instagram or Twitter, more on Instagram I think, but they might have one that's just for the fans, you know, I think fans just want interaction. So if they're able to have interaction with one of their favourite players, they might interact after they've scored a goal on a weekday or whatever, and and then they're giving comments back and forth. They might do competitions with fans to, to win a pair of boots or a shirt. But then the stuff that the player wants to put out about going out to Winter Wonderland with their family or taking a dog for a walk, I think actually they can keep that private because that is their private life. So if they actually have a private account where they're doing what they want or saying what they want, but still keeping it within sensible realms of normality, they can have that. I think it's when people leave their Twitter profile or Instagram profile public and they're literally putting everything out there and doing some really silly things. I think I think people are becoming more clued up to it, but... At the same time, if you're young, everyone does things when they're young, and they don't realise the the mm. kind of how far that can reach. Really, a couple of quick ones before we go.
0: The clubs can sign pre-contract agreements, obviously, with players if a deal doesn't go through in January. How quickly do deals get get done to that end? If a player who was, say, uh, available in January, but you'd have to pay for him, but he's out of contract in the summer, um, February the first, in theory, you could get a deal done. Does that happen?
2: Few and far between, because there's still so much. To- you know, going on and again, it depends how much that, that player's in demand. If it's a, a striker who's you know he's banged 25 goals by the end of January, and he's a he's 25 years old and he's on a free transfer in the summer, yeah, you're going to have six, seven clubs you know knocking at the door to get a deal done. Um, and again, you, the, if someone is on that sort of form, do you want to risk the injury? So you, you want to try and get something agreed. But then there's so many again different placements. If you agree something with the club on February first. And for example, we, we spoke about you know Nathan Jones in the previous one that you know, he might go and sign for you know, a club like that, and then the manager goes, "You already signed there. Oh, who's going to be the manager? They might not fit the way I am." So it's still a massive risk in that.
1: I think also you have um, different regulations for different countries as well. So um, with the regulations in Scotland, for instance, they can sign players between clubs in Scotland, staying in Scotland on pre-contract agreements. So they do that quite often in January. They know they've announced a couple Rangers have signed a couple of players um, on pre-contracts that will be announced or will be signed in the summer. But then what happens is they kind of go, well, you've signed for another club now, you're with us. How much are you really going to kind of put it in with us because you're going to sign for someone else in the summer? And then sometimes what happens is they then renegotiate and go, well, actually, we'll just sell them to you now instead. Um, So that happens. And then also... You can look at Aaron Ramsey, he's, it's been announced that he's going from Arsenal to Juventus, but it's going to happen in the summer. Um, but that's cross-border, so if it's within England, teams in England don't sign players on or publicise pre-contracts. Um, I'm sure things do happen behind the scenes and people do negotiate and say, well, look, if we're going to sign you now in January, we're going to have to pay your club a million pounds to sign you, but you're out of contracts in the summer just hold on, that million pound, you're not going to get all of it, but you might get a bit more than what you were going to get. So we'll sign you on a free transfer in the summer. So I think there's lots of things that do happen, but I think there's football, in every walk of life, it's all about an element of risk and you have to assess that risk as to whether it's worth it or not. Um, And you might say to a player that's out of contract in the summer, look, we're coming up to January, there's two teams that want you, the competition to get you now, there's less teams that want to sign you, but these two teams might get promoted and they might see that, They can see the end in sight, the light at the end of the tunnel. If they sign you, you're the last piece of the jigsaw. And again, it's about selling a story. So if that club can feel like you're going to be the last piece of the jigsaw that's getting promoted, you're in a really strong position. If you're out of contract in the summer, depending on how well you've done between now and the end of the season, if you've not done absolutely incredibly well, teams might want you, but they might go, well, yeah, but there's loads of players that are out of contract, so therefore we're going to take time and see who we think fits us, and we've only got this budget. So it's very much a supply and demand always. So you might have less clubs. That want you in January, but you also might have less players that can move in January. So therefore, it's all about the supply and demand, and the way you can make that dynamic work as well.
0: That's it's been absolutely quality. Really enjoyed it. Hopefully, you've um, kind of broken a few barriers and, and shown people that there is more to your your stereotype of an agent than just you know the. The Wheeler Dealer. Uh, Although I have to say, when I went to Brian's car yesterday, the phone was ringing straight away with a football club. And I mean, your phones literally are buzzing all the time. You must just have to carry a
1: charger in the back pocket or something at all times. I think you you don't realise how addicted you are to your phones. I've got two phones, and people always give me grief about that. But I think you don't realise how addicted you are to them until the battery is literally on 1% and you need to speak to a football manager. I remember every time I see one of the Mission Impossible films, I always know that I missed half the film because I had to take a player to a club. And the only way I could do it was getting out of the cinema because the manager was ringing me i went out into the cinema reception area i was on the phone to him and my phone died uh, and i needed to get that deal done for the next day so i was with some friends in the cinema i disappeared so i had to walk home to go and plug my phone in so i didn't even drive to the cinema because it was around the corner from my house i had to go home charge the phone And get the deal done for the next day, and then they're ringing me, going, "Where on earth are you? You Missed half the film." And I said, "I had to go home and get a deal done." (laughs) So I think I can't stand people using their phones in the cinema, but I just don't go to the cinema in the transfer window anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Wise words for any aspiring (laughs)
2: agent. And you guys going to be pretty busy this deadline day? Do you envisage? Uh, We'd like to get as much done as possible beforehand, but yeah, as we've said before, it uh, doesn't always work like that. So. Yeah, as long as we get the uh, the players sorted, we need to sort whatever happens on deadline day, not before, we'll, we'll, we'll just be happy as long as they're done.
1: You have players, as we've discussed over three podcasts, you have lots of different players in lots of different situations. And I think if you can get as many things done that you know can get done and everyone's happy to get it done, the players happy, both clubs are happy. If you can get that done as quickly as possible, then there's other things that might pop up. And if you're working very hard and using the networks that we've created... As we've said before, in terms of the player that we moved five hours before the deadline, if we've kind of been as organized and structured as possible, you can then be able to make things happen that might necessarily not have happened before. Um, But I think once the window closes, all you want to do is not look at Twitter, not look at Sky Sports News, and just try and go in a dark room for a day or two because you just need a break from it because it's absolutely crazy. But up until the deadline, until that point, you've just got to work as hard as possible to, to make things happen for your clients.
0: And with that, Phil, brings us to the end of this three-part mini-series. Thanks once again, though, for everybody who has downloaded and given us a listen to Phil Corklin and Brian Howard from Momentum Sports Management for giving up their very precious time in January to speak to us and to the University of Buckingham for allowing us to use their studios for our recordings. If you like what you've heard, then it'd be really good if you could give us a little bit of an iTunes review uh, or a five-star rating if you think it's that good. But keep following us on Twitter at TransfersPod. We've got a few ideas Ideas floating around, and we'll let you know as soon as we have the time to get back into the studio in the future. But thanks again for listening to Transfers Uncovered, the podcast.